0: Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Applied, episode 334. We still can say Good Tif, because we're now at the conclusion of Chav Kislev, the 20th of Kislev, that follows the 19th of Kislev yesterday, Shabbos, which is both days together are con- considered the Chag HaGaula, 222 years ago, when the Rebbe left prison. So why do we celebrate the 20th of Kislev? because the story is told in Beis the Rebbe cites it in a number of places, that when the Alter Rebbe finally was freed from prison, they asked him where he wants to go. So he said to take him to the home of the Gevira of Amort Chai Lepler. Now Chai Lepler lived in a particular part of the city, and he lived on the upper floor. By mistake, they took the Alter Rebbe to the lower floor where there was one of the Misnagdim, who was actually one of those that contributed to the informing on the altar Rebbe. When they realized they have the altar Rebbe there, so they sat him down, and them get panicked. What does that mean? He began to speak very harshly to the Alter Rebbe, with a chutzpah. That he's changing the nusach. He says, I won't let you go. You think you're out of prison? I'll show you. We won't let you go until you sign that you take back all the changes you made while you're making kesir. In Musaf, the Alter Rebbe made kesset, not nagdishok, as it said in Musaf Ashkenaz. And for a while, the Altar Rebbe was there, quiet, accepting. This was kveid aksanya, because he was, in a sense, hosting him. He did prepare, cleaned out a glass, put it down, offered him something to drink. The Chasidim were worried. What happened? They knew the Altar Rebbe was released. Then they thought maybe he wasn't released. Maybe the rumors the Mesnagim were saying are true—that he's still in prison. And they checked here and there. They finally decided, let's go downstairs and find out what the misnagdim are saying. And lo and behold, the door was closed, locked. They knock on the door. and That's how the story is told. They come in there and they see the altar And they see the busyness, the humiliation that he was accepting and receiving from this, from his so-called host. A HaLeplah wanted to give the guy a, par, a, a par-petch. Alt-Rebbe hinted to him, no, don't do anything. The Polish HaChassi said, you have to listen to your Rebbe, He's not my Rebbe. And he gave him a slap. <clears throat> the read in Beis Rebbe, the whole section there, talks even about Keser, he tells him about Keser. He says, what, what do you know about a Keser? You're a farmer. You go to a person who appreciates what a melech is to know what Keser should be said, so the question is, well, it's not over. Then afterwards, when the Alter Rebbe came back to Reb Morchel the Chesidim came to Fabreng, the Alter Rebbe said, the three hours that I spent there was more painful than the 53 days that I was in the home, that I was in the prison. So the Rebbe asks, how could that be worse? There he was subject, mamish, to prison, to non-Jews, haters, who knows what they could have done. But here, it was a Jew, a And In many ways, that was more painful because it was from one of our own. You know, you can exp- What can you already expect from Sayyid Yisrael, haters, that were raid of the Al Tareb? But here, so on a certain qualitative level, it was more painful. But there has to be some connection. Why Kesar? Because Chassidus says, Bavur de Bavur that when you're talking about a force that opposes us, there's an expression that doesn't have the shadow of a shadow, which is a makif. But somebody that has the makif of keser, which means a Jew, when he's menaged, when he opposes something, it could be far worse. What is it in our personal Aveda? When you have a stranger, an outside force, trying to stop you from doing what you have to do, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an ad, it's an adversary, and you have to overcome it. But when it's your own nefesh abamis, something that's coming from within you, the misnagid within you, that is opposing chesidus, is opposing primis atere, in some ways the challenge is a far deeper one. That's why you see abuse or hurt that comes from someone that loves you is always going to be more painful, much worse, than something that comes from a, a stranger. Someone who doesn't know who you are, doesn't have any particular relationship with you. So, Chav Kislev continues to be the gu'ula, and a gu'ula that continues on over 202, on 200 years later, 222 years to be exact, in Tafkuf Nuntes, in the year 17, 1799. So, now 222 years later. Now, my friends, this program is sponsored and dedicated in memory of Rachel, or Rachel Maman, dedicated by the Caputo family. It's also a special edition. This is a surprise, a special edition. We received a number of requests from high school students, particularly girls, in the girl high schools, who wanted Yutes kiss of Chavkis of Yutes kiss of this year, Shabbos, to have a special focus session of Chassidus, my life Chassidus applied, to questions that they are struggling with and they have. So we decided we'll dedicate this Chof Kislev special edition to the high school students. And literally questions have been pouring in. I will try to cover and address as many as possible. And that's where the focus of this program will be. So see it as a special edition and completely focused on these questions. Whenever you see young people, especially, who are in their formative years, their school years, and intrigued by chesidus, and want to celebrate Yudas Kislev to the fullest, by applying chesidus to their lives, obviously we need to respond to that. That's our future. So I want to encourage anyone listening, if you're a student, or you're still younger, and will, and, and, well, well, you're a student already, but will become an older student, And even if you're out of school, always retain, always maintain that enthusiasm, that type of sense of exuberance and idealism. And that's why I felt really touched and motivated to address these questions. So I'm going to begin with the questions. As I said, there are quite a few. I hope I can get through as many as possible. And perhaps what we'll do is maybe continue it next week or in later times. But this is not the last time I'll do this. If there's any particular request of anyone listening to the program that feels a particular group, whether it's students, whether it's male students, female, different ages, and it could be adults in different groups, I'd be happy to consider a focused My Life Chisita Supply that's focused to either a particular topic or to a particular audience. And please take us up on that. Now, chassidahsupply.com is the website where you can find all the episodes um, all stored there. You can present and submit a completely anonymous question there as well. You have also all the essays of the essay contest and the creative contest, as well as many other resources, the I.M. Base classes, which I do now daily, and once a week in the new Kailal, as well as other materials. Please take advantage of this powerful resource. And with that, let us enter into the world of questions of teenagers Students in this dedicated program, special student edition, we're calling it. Okay. So when some of these questions came in, the faculties, whoever, for them, they said, thank you so much. The girls are so excited. Please feel free to take out or change or combine any of the questions below. And since then, we've gotten even more questions. Okay. So I'm going to just read, I like to hear the voice of the actual student, unfiltered and unedited and uncensored. So there's not going to be any particular order, I'll just go in the order of the questions as they were received. How can we say that the Yidden had Pchira by Mat and Hashem picked up the mountain over their heads. So this is a Gemara. It says, <laughs> Kofalaim Harki Gigis. That by Matin taylor the Abish to lifted the mountain over their heads and said, if you receive the taylor good. If not, I will crash this mountain upon you. And the Gemara is sensitive to this question. It actually says, My daughter So now from here we have a certain possible complaint. You could say we never really received the taylor completely willingly. It was forced upon us. And how does that stim with what we say, "Nassa before Nishma? So there are different answers given. I discussed it actually a few weeks ago. And how the different commentaries explain it. Some say these are about the laws that are written in the Torah. These are about the laws that were not written in the Torah. Teder Shabal Peh. But the Gemara itself continues and says, that's why we have Purim. Where it says, Kimu v'kibla yehudim, Kimu masha k'kiblu. That they con- they consummated, and they sustained. That was already received by Mount Tabor. Because by putting they were not compelled. So putting them in a way is the conclusion of Mount Tabor. Now, why- what does this mean? Even God threatening them? So the al explains that the lifting of the mountain was actually an act of love. That sometimes when you love someone, you surround them, and yes, you may even in subtly, for subtle form way, in a subtle way, you are actually imposing yourself. So on one hand, it demonstrates beautiful love. But on the other hand, it also demonstrates that the one, the recipient has not fully embraced it. And that's why you need mamata lamayla, put him, where they actually receive it at their own volition. So in life, Chassidus explains, there's a susa de le'ela, there's a susa de le'etata. Susa de le'ela is an awakening from above, the mountain above us. Susa Lutata is when we initiate from below, and the truth is you need both. I should also add that before the mountain was lifted, the Jews had agreed to be there, and they had already accepted. But they were to lift it just in case they would have second thoughts, essentially God's love pushed it through. But only to ultimately us embrace it. And you see this also in the approach in general. Matan Torah was not given in the first, to the first human beings. Other mechava. Twenty-six generations later, for twenty-six generations, they were benefiting from chazdei shalach boruch and izunin mechazdei shalach boruch. Also, mamid la And that's a general approach. Applying it to our time today, the Rebbe gives us, gave us, and gives us koyches. But then he says, "Do what you can." The first fabrengen, yutzhva tov Rao, the first official fabrengen, the Rebbe says, don't deceive yourself in thinking, I'm going to do the job for you. Yes, I will give you strength, I will help you, I'll support you, I'll meet you halfway. But you have to do your part. And that's the way that we do after Matan Teda. And you talk, a see, Matan 39 days later, led to one of the greatest sins, the sin of the golden calf. And one of the reasons, because they had not fully internalized it yet. That's why by each of the Aseres HaDibris, it says, Their souls expired of every utterance, every statement of the Ten Commandments, every command, every dibr. Because they were not yet fully integrated and internalized. But the work after that is to internalize by building the Mishkan and then the generations that followed. And today the Levit says, we have already internalized and we're ready for the full consummation of Matan not Now just put him, the Osed when the marriage will be c- finished and completed, total union and relationship between the divine and existence, between God and us. The next question. Is there anything wrong with listening to Jewish music that is not negunim? No, it's not chassidosh nigunim. So I've spoken about this as well, and I'm, I, I'm not going to say that by every question because it's very likely I spoke about many of these topics, but I'm only saying it because I encourage you that you should look at the previous episodes because sometimes I may have elaborated a lot more than I can elaborate now. So in truth is, the Frideka Rebbe already classifies songs in different categories. There's songs that the Rabbeim themselves composed. Al the Alter Rebbe composed ten songs, we you know. Different Rabbeim composed different Ngunye. They may have composed them or they may have taught them. So obviously that's the highest level because it's coming from the Rebbe himself. <coughs> Then there's Nagunim that Chsidim composed and the Rebbe's endorsed or blessed or they were their favorites. The Beinani is an example. It's composed by one of the Charatonovs. But the Friedrich Rebbe became his song when we sang it by the Fabrings, by the Rebbe. When you sing the Friedrich Rebbe's Anigan. So obviously that may not be quite the level of a Rebbe's Anigan, but it's Anigan that's Ezgehal. Then there's songs that Lav Davke received a type of. um, uh, endorsement of the rabbim, but Chesidim, either sing it. You have songs today, more contemporary nigunim, that are using Hebrew words and they create a new song. So this obviously is a whole different category. It's human beings making an effort that doesn't necessarily have that sanction of the sanct- of, of what a rebbe would say. This is a, a nigun that now are these songs listen? Yes, you can listen to them. They're not in the category of klipa. Because there's songs written, hopefully, by Yir shemaim, and sung by Yir shemaim. And as you go down the spectrum, or you go down the, the ladder, then there are nigunim, that are, uh, even, even if some Jews composed it, but you can tell they're not necessarily and you know, nigunim. Sometimes it's like a Goyish song and put Hebrew words to it. And as you go further down, there's songs that are, actually could be metameh san nefesh, composed by or sung by people who have very different intentions than Kedusha. So in every song, you have to really establish that. So I'll say to you, if you're talking about the highest level, no, just Jewish music, contemporary Jewish music is not on that level, and the singers will be the first to admit that. But to say that it doesn't have any matter, by the Rebbe, by Fabrenians, for instance, the Nugunim are sung, we're in, but by Kaisa interestingly, other songs were also sung, Jewish songs. It was a less formal situation. So the answer is, my answer would be, there's nothing wrong per se, but you should really probably talk to your mashpia, just to see where you're at and see which songs we're talking about because I don't want to in any way be overgeneralized, just be very nuanced in this uh, subject matter. And remember, music touches the heart. So you have to be careful what you allow into your heart. You want kedusha, you want holiness, you want sanctity, you want bitl, you want chassidishkeit things that are saturated with divine elements you want in your life. That's why it's so important what you listen to and how, because it has an impact. <clears throat> the next question. Is there a reason... Is there a reason the Rebbe does not put so much emphasis on Rebbe Sintvera story? It seems that Chassidim feel very emotional about it, and I was wondering if there is an explanation as to why, for example, the Rebbe does not say a sikh every year about it. So this is referring, of course, to Vedaleya, the al Rebbe's daughter, who, before Rosh Hashanah, in the year, um, uh, what year was it, uh, the Tzermach Tzedek was a young child, but one year she had sensed and she had heard this a on the, the Fli- altar Rebbe's life, so secretly, she went and called together a Bezdin and made them paskin, that she will give her life for her father. She asked her father, Al-Tarebbe, just take care of my little boy. It was the Samar Tzaddik, the, the Al-Tarebbe that moved him into his room. An act of tremendous misidious nefesh. I don't, can't really speculate why the Rebbe put emphasis. I mean... That Rebbe told the story a number of times, learned lessons from it. Why it's not becomes established every year, discussion on the... There can be many explanations for it. It doesn't in any way minimize what she did, her sacrifice, and the importance of it. There are many important things that have happened that not necessarily are established as a yontov every year or something to be commemorated. This doesn't make it take away from it. It's whatever reason it may be. Maybe it's a reason because it had an element of pain in it. Every time you remember the story, she gave her life. Maybe, could the Ebershton not give her life, give her long life and give the Altarab a long life? It had to come that way. So it could be that may be a reason not to always be, but at the same time, appreciation. We see nefesh like that for your father. It's a tremendous lesson. And this chusim that the Tzamech received for it, and all the generations after that, you never know what a mother's. And a daughter's mrs nefesh is, in this case, a daughter's mrs nefesh, how much it can achieve. So we find many quite things. You know, also you want to add kufud basmelech pnima There are also great of, achievements that don't necessarily receive great prominence, not because they're not significant. We told about Miriam, for example, mrs nefesh. She would stand every day to watch her little brother Moshe, in the basket, that his mother made for him, the waterproof on the river Nile to save him. And the schusim that later, Moshe waited for her, that she, this little girl, as she grew older. Some things like that, some people don't even know the story. Some of the most powerful experiences in life, like when a mother cradles her child. It may not be headlines, and there may not be fireworks about it, and all the drama, but in it lies unbelievable power. So that's an additional point that some of the greatest achievements in life happened in silence, in very humble settings, and not always blasted all over. You know, the difference between Yom Kippur and, and Shavuos. On there was khalos of rakim. So fire, uh, uh, a uh, light and sound show, you can say, when the tether was given. Yom Kippur is very quiet, because when you make a lot of noise, even if it's good noise for a good thing, it also can attract the wrong f- energies, Ay in hara. So that uh, that Eberster said, now the second luchas, let's do that in silent with humility and modesty. Let's not make such a big fanfare about it. So there's different ways things are experienced. Some are experienced in very loud and pronounced ways. Some are experienced in more subtle ways. That's how I would respond to that. Okay. Next. What's the, regard, what's the regard that we, as Deir Hashvi Chsidim, <laughs> we, as the seventh generation Chsidim, meaning the Rebbe, the seventh generation from the Altar Rebbe, who never knew any other Rabbeim, should be having with the Chsidis of the six previous Rabbeim? What regard, what Yachas, what relationship should we of the seventh generation have with the, the Chsidis of the six previous Rabbeim? Besides for the Heros, the Rebbe clearly gave Chitas learning Chumash Tilim Tanya, Tanya, Teira Teira Tere'er, etc. Shouldn't we be only mainly learning our generation's Chassidus? But then what about the rest of Chassidus? Okay. Well, it's equivalent of asking the question that in the time of uh, the Amaroim, who developed the Gemara, since that's their time, So they should be learning only Gemara, not Mishnah. And not the Teter that precedes the Mishnah, including Teter Shebek Sav. Obviously that's a ridiculous question, because Teter is one large body that accumulates. Everything originates from Sinai. But as it's explained in Svarim, but there it could be more like kolalim, general principles, and the details, as they unfold and are unpacked over the generations, may be still in a concentrated form. This is the process of all knowledge. First, you have a kernel, a seed of an idea, and then you develop it. But the development is based on those ideas. So, as much as this is the de'rashevii, as the Rebbe says, de'rashevii from what seven means, there has to be six before, and is built upon those six. So we don't say Moshe Rabbeinu was the seventh generation from Avram. So yes, he brought the Shekhinah down below. Tremendous. But it was only possible because there were six before him who did their job. So you have to think of it in a cumulative process. We're all part of one larger team. And each generation has its particular role. Or think of a marathon. A relay marathon. A relay race. So there's many people running. And the first one passes the baton to the next generation. And the next generation passes the baton to the next. And that's the flow of history. A mesera, ish me ish, links in a chain. And we are cumulative. We ride on. And we build upon that which came before us. So the learn of the Rebbe himself, yes, Mitzchah Kash there's a certain element. But the chassidus of the Rebbe himself is based on the chassidus of the Fridic Rebbe and the Rebbe Rashab, the Rebbe Marash, and the Tzermach Tzedek, and the Mitla Rebbe, and the Altareb. And the Alter Rebbe is built on Magid and the Balshemtiv, Me- Me- Al- and everything is built on each one generation before, straight to Meisher Rabbeinu. So this is one large unit. There's no they're not competing, God forbid, and they're not fragmented pieces. They're all accumulative. The Rebbe's Maimorim follow the Maimorim that came before So if we want to really appreciate the Rebbe and the Rebbe's Maimorim and teachings, we need to also study that which became before. Upon what the Rebbe built upon, and then you could even appreciate the Chiddush of the Rebbe's Ma'amadim or Chiddush and the Rebbe's uh, the talks and ideas, because you see uh, what was said till now, and then you see the Chiddush that the Rebbe adds to it. And when Mashiach comes, it will be an accumulation of all these generations as they built one upon the other until the Makibah which is the final step that brings it to, down to fruition, like the Rebbe said, to bring the not just from the sixth heaven, to the, not just from the fifth to the sixth, but from all the way down to earth. Okay. One more thing I want to say about this, obviously when it comes to directives of the Rebbe, let's say the learning of Rambam, or other things, they have a special khvivus because we heard it from our own Rebbe. But no way does it minimize that which was said by the Fidik Rebbe Zechitas, or the other tarkonis. Again, it's built upon, but there's a chvivus There's certain things that the Rebbe, we ourselves heard from the Rebbe. The Rebbe is part of the unique shlichas of our time. So the Rebbe explains, in some places, regarding the issue that when you learn the Ma'amorim, let's say, of Pesach, it talks about Pesach being the highest level. You learn the Ma'amorim of Shavush, Shvus is the highest level. You learn the by bottom of sukkah, sukkah is the highest level. So the Rebbe brings from the Arizal, have a that every person has their mitzvah, which is the shah, the gate, through which all other mitzvahs flow. The thing that they primary focus on. That doesn't mean they don't have the others, but there's a primary. So we can say there's a special chvivesi seira, when we heard something from the Rebbe, that all the therabeim, all the chassidus, all the teachings before her, so channel through... That was the Rebbe taught us. One more additional point I wanted to add. Okay. Should I be nervous when something comes too easy? Because if, if it says, you guide to Matsosi, time it. So there's a story of the Tzamak that actually answers the question in an interesting way. Al Rebbe once had a desire, he wanted to give the Tzamak a gift. He wanted to give me, and he called him. He said, I want to offer you a gift, a what kind of gift? A gift of a certain no- amount of knowledge of Torah. Samach Sadiq rejected it. It says, He wants to exert himself and earn it, not to be given as a gift. Years later, it says that Samach Sadiq regretted the fact. Because the ain't it's unlimited. As much as the Altar Rebbe would give him, that he could use his time and energy to go deeper and further. So the question is, what, he didn't realize that in the beginning? Because the debate is the debate. Do you want something? You may have more, but it's not necessarily qualitative, like I said before with Purim and Matan that you own it. A person desires one measure of his own than nine that he receives. But nine is nine times as much. Someone gives you $9,000, it's a lot more than $1,000. You can buy more, but you'd also blow it faster because you don't feel it's yours. You didn't earn it. When you earn something, it's far more yours, qualitatively speaking. So the answer is that we learn from the Tzemaq Tzaddik that when you're given a matana, take the matana and then use the energy to go further. So both are true. The truth is, yigiyye, one per- a person truly needs... Um, that there should be effort. If it comes easy, it could also go easy. On the other hand, I'm not going to say if God blesses you and gets you, gives gives something that is easy, go for it, grab it. But then work hard to go further. Don't let that be an excuse not to work hard. Because until the end of the day, the greatest achievements are the ones that come as a result of the greatest effort. Okay, moving along. quite enjoying this. This is very, I hope... You are enjoying as much as I am. So the next question: Why do we teach and give chassidus to young children? Why don't we hold it back a bit so they can appreciate when they when they so they can appreciate it when they grow up? I'm not sure what you mean by the question, but let me ask you a question: It's like asking, why do we give children to eat? Because it's their sustenance. Yes, you give them less than you would give an adult. But why not? Why deprive them of something that's so special? We teach a child, not the whole tailored t- t- civil nomesheh. We make it sweet. We make it pleasant. So the child should learn to appreciate it. But all of Chinuch is that way. So obviously, chanech l'narah you have to tailor it to each child, to each boy, to each girl, and what they relevant to them. You don't teach a child the way you would teach an adult. But why would one not teach something so beautiful? I would say Chassidus is the most important thing to teach our children. Obviously, we're not talking about the deepest ideas. We're talking about the basics of what is a neshama. What is love? How do we look at another person? How do we look at another Jew? To always stay away from chleikas, to look for achdus. These are the principles you want to teach children. You just have to find the language. Can you sit and learn with them ayin beiz or or deeper ideas or even tanya? But you can take a, th- a theme of tiny. That's one of the reasons that when we start teaching olive bays, even to young children, some have the custom to, to uh, smear honey, sugar, sweets on the sharblat of tiny. So for a child, he doesn't yet understand, but you're beginning to expose him to, to the Hebrew letters. So it acclimates him, as when he begins to learn, he already is a, not a beginner completely because he has all that, besides the fact that he learned the entire Torah in his mother's womb. So that's the point. Chassidus, when you know what Chassidus is, Chassidus is like spiritual music, spiritual sustenance. It's feeding the Neshama. Why would you not want to do that for young children? And about appreciating? Because by not giving, they appreciate? No, give. And always leave more to be wanted. So there'll always be appreciation. You don't stop doing something good because you want to to, uh, appreciate it. I mentioned before, Matan Teda. It was given, yes, they didn't at the time, but it was in some way compelled, imposed. But then they came to learn to appreciate it. So you really want the proper balance. To spoil someone and give them something and just a sense of entitlement, and they never find any element of effort, your gear. that's also not good. So you need the right balance. How can one attain real bittle if one can actually have the Rebbe's will be his own? Okay, so there's a mission that says, I say that say ne, or I say that say ne, that ultimately the goal is that we all begin by first having our own desires and interests. We're not necessarily even talking about something that's prohibited, it's your own. As you become a little more mature and you learn and you grow, or even as a child, Be trained that the Rebbe wants you to do something. It's the right thing to do. So you may not initially say it's for me, but you begin. And then the questioner is asking, what happens once it becomes Mamashir Ratsun? And you actually enjoy it. So there's no bitl anymore. Doing what the Rebbe wants has become your desire. It's not forced. So where's the bitl? So in a way, the story, story I told earlier about the tzamaht answers this question too. What did tzamaht tzaddik first think? I have to earn it. So I have to work, exert myself. Then he came to realize that tzaddik is unlimited. So whatever I would receive as a gift, that would only be a springboard. Now I'll exert and further. The same thing here. In the connection we have with our Rebbe, there's no end. In the relationship, even if you've come and trained yourself to do something the Rebbe wants, and you're actually enjoying it, not it's not you're not doing it just because you're so called kabbalah sale. You're actually enjoying it. your rutzin has become his rutzin, but there's always deeper levels, more than the Rebbe expects of us, and that's where bittel comes in. That's the first answer. So bittel comes in to get to go, to go to places that are beyond our comfort zone. Yes, you've reached a place where your is, the Rebbe's Rotson is your Rotson and it's comfortable. But like he says in Tanya chapter 15, a must-read chapter. Every chapter is a must-read, but this one has this unique that teaches the need, avoid the means to go out of your comfort zone if elikus and godliness and the Rotson HaTay, the Rotson the Rebbe's Rotson is something that's become easy for you and comfortable then you have to push to go even further. The second point, which is another angle, that bitl does not always mean that you hate it. That's against you. Bitl means that instead of looking and, and, uh, and, and following your interest, you dedicate yourself to a cause greater than you are. See, even if you're bottom of yourself and your rotzen becomes rabbi's, the rabbis rotzen, becomes your rotzen. To the point that you, you're comfortable with it, you love it. So who says that's not Bittl? The Bittl is so deep, that not that it's co- being compelling you in a way that's imposing upon you, that actually you became one with the Balharots. and you, You're following and you become one with the Robes Rots. That's the second point I want to make regarding Bittl. Okay. Next question. What's a Mashpiyah for? What is the purpose of a Mashpiyah? We know she is to connect you to the Rebbe, but how? I want to just make one important disclaimer here. You know, we talk a lot about eskashas to the Rebbe. Maybe it's a question that's going to come. People say, so one second, eskashas to the Rebbe, or to the Ebeshter. So you have to remember the Pesach says in Bishalach, avde. They believed in God and they believed in Mesha His servant. Which one is it? They're not competitors. Moshe is his servant. Moshe Avdeh. So by extension, if you believe in God, you believe in God's servant, who is completely dedicated to what Hashem wants. So when we say here to the Rebbe, we mean that may that it's really a dedication to what God wants. And the Rebbe is his shliach, his evid. Just as important point to emphasize So what's the role of Amashpia? So it's interesting, connection to Yutaz Kislev, the ministers that had access to the Al-Tarebbe when he was in prison saw they had a real brilliant scholar. So they asked him questions. And a number of questions, they actually asked him to write an answer. He wrote the answer in Hebrew, and then it was translated into Russian. We have today the answers. One of the questions is, what do you need a Rebbe for? And the Rebbe, Alta Rebbe, explains it very balabatish, very practical. He said, every person is a negei bedover. Every person is subjective. So you can't always see clearly what's the good thing for you to do because of your own self-interest can blind you. Ha'shechid <laughs> ya'aver Bias blinds the eyes of the wise. Even if they're wise, It can slant your look, your bias, your prejudices. She says, that's why you have a Rebbe. The Rebbe serves as an objective party that's sensitive to you and your needs and can give objective advice of how to serve and counter the subjective forces that can sometimes blind us. It takes by extension, when you look at the sikhs, the Rebbe spoke about mashpim. First, you Kislev, actually. Tov shin lamid zayin. Whole sikh about mashpim. And the Rebbe continued in the Fabrengans after Yutas Kislev. Roshchei Tubishvat, Yud Shvat. A long ariches. What is a mashpia? What is his role? Essentially, a mashpia serves somewhat of the same. It's, it's not a Rebbe. But a mashpia is someone that you can speak to. A Rebbe still is still a melech in certain ways, inaccessible completely. So you reserve the Rebbe for the main things. But a mashpia is someone that's a little more commensurate to you. And the same thing, you're hearing an objective opinion of someone who's a Follows Taylor, Hazir Shemayim, they give you that objective advice. So your question, we know that to connect you to the Rebbe, but how? Because they allow you to get beyond your own interest and connect to what the Rebbe wants us to be in aligning ourselves to what Hashem wants us to be. That's what a good Mashbia will do. we we'll will help you neutralize your subjective interests that can blind you. I want to sleep a little more. I want to do this. I have all kinds of different temptations. That's the role of a true mashpia. Next question. What is Teda's perspective on therapy? If Teda has all the answers, if Teda has all the answers on how to live a healthy life, why the need, then why the need for therapy? And if Teda does and if Tata does have the answers, why does it not feel applicable? If it isn't, then what's our approach to this all? Excellent questions. It's actually one of the first things I addressed when we began my life seven years ago was precisely this. What's the Tata's view on therapy? If you have Tata, what do you need therapy? You know, where does the Tata end? Like, for example, it comes to clinical or medical situations. We know the Tata says, from here we learn that a doctor was given permission in other words you don't look to Teda for heart surgery God forbid or to uh, check out your eyes or your ears or other different medical areas the Teda itself sanctioned and said Hashem blessed the human race and earth with healing properties and gave permission to be used That had to be used but when it comes to matters that are more chochmous ha like we're discussing here, it's a very legitimate question. What is the Tatar's view on it? So there's clearly gray areas where a rov or a mashpiyah may not be able to help because you need someone who has a little more training. But even the areas that perhaps you could find a good mashbiya, is it due to the fact that we just don't have them available? Or we don't know who they are, so therefore we have no choice, we go to therapy. Or... Even if we did have them available, sometimes you need the therapy. It's case by case, and I find by, once you evaluate and assess a person's situation, you could say maybe it'd be worthwhile having a conversation with a professional in whatever area you're struggling with whether it's OCD, whether it's a depression, whether it's just in general feelings of emptiness. So the answer is the is perspective, if as long as it's a Taylor based therapy, it doesn't necessarily mean that the therapist is a, is, is a, is a God-fearing Jew, but it means that it's, it's consistent with Tata values. The ever, for example, Viktor Frankl, that ever felt much consistent with the Tata approach, man's search for meaning, purpose. Freudian psychology was not seen that way. So basically, the Teter's view is like case by case, find a good or find a rov, that can help and tell you, you know what, I think in this area is worth go watch, go to a professional. Sometimes it's only to rule out certain possibilities. So you want to make sure that a professional rules out and say, "This is no, this isn't a, a mental issue or an emotional issue or, an, or uh, this is something that with therapy or with the proper behavior you could work it through. Okay. As far as the taita itself, so there's some areas that Teda teaches us, well, some. All the Teda does is teach us Melosh and Hira methodology. It teaches us an approach to life. Some places it's very obvious the lessons, some places not always so obvious. But perhaps with a teacher, and when you dig deeper you find in the Tata an approach to different matters, and some of it is far ahead of its time. Okay. The Tareba writes in the introduction to Tanya that this Tanya was written to give Aitsis. He gathers all the advice possible that he's experienced, Al Altar with people for generations to come. So you see, Tanya is actually a Sefer that takes Tera and applies it to the matters of Nefesh, the battle between divine and animal soul, the different levels of Tzadik Benin and Roshah, power of Aveda, as opposed to doing things automatically, and the list goes on and on. All a methodology of how to live the best possible life aligned with the purpose for which you were created. What should I do if my feelings are numb? I've been through some really painful things. I've been through some really painful things in the past few years. And until a little while ago, I felt the pain. It hurt, I cried. But now I just don't feel anything anymore. I also stopped feeling for things in Yiddishkeit. What's the way to start feeling my emotions again? Okay. Well, generally speaking, a natural, healthy person allows their emotions to be expressed. Think of a newborn child. Newborn child is not conscious that it's crying. If it's in pain, if it needs to be fed food or drink, if it needs different comforts, it lets itself known. It doesn't hesitate, it's not diplomatic, it cries, the child. So the mere fact that we feel is healthy. Why would someone not feel? Is because something's stopping you from feeling. If you feel criticized. Every time you express, you cry, or express your feelings, you feel criticized. After a while, a child will stop crying. And become numb. Some numbness is a sign of death. Death is the ultimate epitome of numbness. But numbness is, especially emotional numbness, it's like protecting yourself. Now I know most people won't admit that, but that's where numbness is. So the question is, how do you ignite the flame again? So, of course, there's a few aspects to this. First, you have to establish why is a person numb? Did something happen? Were you hurt? Were you rejected? That's number one. Number two is coming to realize that there's times you may need to be numb to protect yourself, but that's not where you want to be. You want to be excited about life. You want to be passionate. You want to be enthused, united. So the etza, the way to go about that, is to bring things that have life in them. If numbness is the kiss of death, paralysis on all levels, I don't mean physically, I mean emotionally, intellectually, then the solution is is to ignite. What do you enjoy? Some people enjoy actually helping others. Some people enjoy write, enjoy writing. Some people enjoy music. So I wouldn't try to force it. I would try to bring to the fore things that you in the past have enjoyed and reignite the spark. So, you don't want to remain numb in your life. Because remember, numb means maybe nothing is coming in, but also nothing's going out. It means a life of no relationship, no vulnerability. And true, healthy love has all that. But I would definitely recommend you speak to someone because I'm speaking in general terms, different numbness for different reasons, getting to the bottom of it. Sometimes you can't always get to the bottom of it but understanding the dynamics is the key to the whole thing so it's important to find someone to speak to what is the practical way i want to say one more thing before that I continue what's the way to start your emotions try to find trusting situations divide and conquer you don't have to suddenly become from numb to all alive find slowly weekly things you really enjoy could be a hobby. It could be dealing with people. And go for it. Surround yourself with projects in that way that excite you. That's how you begin to get the emotions active again. Okay. What is a practical way to think of and deal with having depression and anxiety disorder. Okay, the first and most important thing in any given situation, especially what you're describing, is awareness and facing and confronting the issue. The last thing you wanna do is push it under the carpet, because then like an infection, you ignore it, it begins to fester and spread to the point it becomes very difficult, like a fire to contain. So the first most important thing is the very question itself. Opening up the discussion. The second thing is to find someone competent that you can talk to. Does not even be formal in the beginning. Someone you can just talk openly with. This may take a few times till you're comfortable. And just share your life. Let the person ask questions. You can't imagine what that fresh air can do. It shakes things up. The human psyche is a very fragile thing So to actually feel, you need to be able to be able, to. so so you need to go and find someone that you can talk to. Finally, if indeed there's something medical about it, a chemical imbalance, they may prescribe something. But let's talk about the humans, the the therapeutic side. The therapeutic side is a good therapist, or a good mashpia, a rav, who may work hand-in-hand with the therapist, will look to see whether behavioral therapy, dialectic, there's all types of different modern approaches of how you integrate chassidish ideas into a psychological model to address and speak about depression. There's a whole section in Tanya, starting from page 26, where he talks about depression, Atzvos. Okay, but, Again, a program like this, it's very difficult to give a full formula because it's vital to be seen by somebody. Just like if someone asks, what do you do about um, heart disease? Or what do you do about other things? You need to be seen by somebody who deals with it. And they can prescribe the proper regimens necessary to uh, grow. Next question. When an emotion arouses, what should one do with it? It's a very broad question. depends what the emotion is. If the emotion is you suddenly have a surge of love to want to help a stranger, act on it. If you have a surge of love to a parent, to a child, to a colleague, to a friend, to a relative, act on it. So I'm assuming from the question, you're talking about an emotion that may not be the healthiest one. It could be jealousy, it could be anger, it could be different things. So what do you do with it? Again, this is case by case. The, the, the essential concept of having feelings even if they're not tamed initially is to try to numb that That's like doing a lobotomy because you don't want to feel is not an approach. So you have to evaluate like he says in Tanya in Base, in the Batmeyach Shaltalev he gives the dynamics that when a thought or a feeling arises inside of you, and it's not a positive one so a person has the power a natural power the natural power, he says at the beginning of chapter 12, to control himself, to restrain and refrain. Does that mean it won't come back? Does that mean that you've won the war or the battle? No. But you've begun the process. So that's the first thing, is seeing what you can do. Use your mind, your reflective mind, to dissect, to evaluate. Is this the right thing? If indeed... It passed the test, and now it's an emotion that should be allowed in. So by all means, act on it. Go for it. If it's in doubt, or you see this emotion can cause problems, so that's why we have each other. Talk about it with someone and see what you have to do to work it through. Some battles don't have to be fought right now. They can be pushed off. It all comes down to what is going on right now in your dynamic and your pathology. Next. How can I use my capabilities? How can I use my capabilities of doing all my dreams now, when I'm only in high school? Is it true that my fullest potential is a kind, of blocked, kind of blocked by my position as a student? Okay, so basically you have idealism and dreams and aspirations, but you're still in high school. Which has expectations. And limitations as a student. Well, the fact that we're in a state of a student is not a bad thing. The fact that you're sitting... You're sitting in with humility and the type of accepting what your teacher is saying. Is that a contradiction to ultimately a one day to go fly? And fulfill your dreams and aspirations? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, you said you could, you could say that you're building security within in order to be able to spread your wings. So I would say as a student, what you want to do is find a spiritual passion. Whether it could be something like going to Mav or other things where you're helping others. When you are able to do that, so relatively speaking, you're already fulfilling some of your dreams. Can you do everything? No, there are constraints when you're in school age. But you're training yourself at a young age to begin to really spread your wings, to express yourself online and other manners. So therefore, my answer would be, you begin by by living up and trying to live up to some of your dreams. It's usually going to take you Gaita Mitzasi real work, but it could be done. So by all means, go for it. Next question. Why does Hashem set people up for failure? Like when Moshe hit the rock, Hashem purposely made him hit the rock, So the Yiddin wouldn't get into Eretz Yisrael, etc. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking through how to answer this question. I would not say Hashem sets people up for failure. Hashem sets people up with challenges. The whole purpose of the Neshama coming down to this world you could say it's a setup for failure. Who's, not, who's going to fully succeed? Ain't no the mess. Every person has things. And even at Tzadik, everyone has their challenges in this world. This is not Ghaned. At the same time, we're given all the strengths to deal with our challenges. And that's where life becomes p- purposeful. So it may not be as pleasant. And it may look like a setup, but it's not a setup. It's a setup, as he says in Tanya. It's a test. It's like somebody who's pushing you when you're being trained, let's say, in a boot camp, in the military. There's resistance pushing you to your limits because you want to bring the best out of someone. If there's no challenge like that, there's no competition, I'm talking about healthy forms, you don't bring the best. So I would say bringing the best out of a person is going to always have the element of fear of failure Things may not be working exactly as I expected. And a person always has free will. You're saying Hashem made him hit the rock. Yes, he creates situations where it makes it easy to not listen and to do whatever you want, but there's still always free will. I would not take that away. Even though the question is not about that, so Hashem sets up by sending the neshama in this world, he's setting us up for failure. But we know that, that does not mean there is failure. It means it's up to us to counter those forces and build our lives in the most powerful and beautiful way. Our old is next question, are all the is the same? If not, what makes them different? Well, let's define Nishamas first. Nishamas are spiritual energies, spiritual divine entities that have a purpose. In higher stages, the shamans are not tangible. Even in lower stages, they're not tangible, the soul, but the soul does manifest, and you can see it in the movement of my lips, speaking now, talking, teaching, learning. So is a person's, in that sense... So, so neshamah is that type of purpose. Now, in general, neshamahs then branch off. Think of it like a tree. They all began with Adam and Chava, one human being, who split into two. That would in turn split into more children, more children. So, in truth, neshamahs are like branches that branch out. They're all connected to the same tree. So, there's neshamahs that connect to Chesed, to Gvura, to tefer. it's like the Menorah. There's seven different types, seven different branches. But essentially, they're all coming, they're all team players of one particular purpose. So the answer is, on one hand, they're all the same. Like, look at human beings. We're one human race. Or the human body. It's one human body, but it has many components. And they all actually complement each other. And they lead to that synergy and the harmony that's more than the sum of the parts. Okay. So what makes them different? Well, as I said, just like it says, there's total unity, and then as the unity is subject to concealment, it begins to divide into and specific details. So that's the process. That the unity, the diversity of existence is a result of the same Hashem Echad. But he wanted that Echad should permeate, specific, because that's what makes it Tachtanium. That's what makes this world a defined world, because everything is specific. Everything has its parameters. So to bring the undefined into the defined is the key. The definitions is where the differences are between one neshama. So the neshamas that relate to chesed and some to gavura, But in essence, they're really all part of one bigger plan. Will we turn into malachim? Well, the, answer, the short answer is no. A neshama and a malach are fundamentally different. Are there similarities? The Gemara says that we're three ways we're similar to angels, and three ways we're similar to the behemoth, an animal. On Yom Kippur, we're, and malochim, we're similar to angels. We're, we're white. So we won't become malachim because malachim's role is very different. A malach can't come to this world and maintain its spiritual integrity. We see what happened to the nephilim. So a malach remains mostly in envi- its own environment, spiritual environment, and there it can thrive. A neshama has the capacity to come to this world and transform it. For there, you need some more, what Chassidus calls atzmizdike, essential strengths. So the neshama has a part of the way it's rooted on top, they are all one. Then it breaks down, branches down, just like from one father and mother will branch many different family scions and different branches in different directions, all connected to that one original odom and chava. Okay. Will the world ever end? Well, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Rosh Hashanah, six God created the world six millennia. Each one has its role, and the seventh millennia says means Charuf, means one thousand one millennia will be destroyed. Existence. Another opinion says "Tre Charuf, the two thousand so year. The 7th, the 7,000th, the year, Elif the 7, 000, 7th millennia, and the 8th millennia. What's Charuv? That's a big question. I spoke about this as well several months ago. Everything will be destroyed. But destroyed means what? Explains this. Destroyed means that with the life and the world as we knew it, there'll be a and a khadosha. a new heaven and a new earth. What new means will be now developed and transformed into a completely different experience than we have today. Today we know the material world, with its challenges and temptations, needs to be sublimated, refined, and make a dira But then there comes higher levels where that which was existent before, compared to the higher, would be called eliminated. It's essentially like it's it's sublimated to a higher level. That's the general explanation. So technically the world will end because the world is a physical world, doesn't have power to be eternally here. The only reason it has such power is because God gave it that power. That's the way Chassidus explains this. There's more to say on the topic, but I'll leave it at that. If one someone wants to follow up, I shared how to follow up at chassidusapply.com. Do tzaddikim start out perfect? If not, how would someone know if they're a tzaddik? Very good question. Would the tzaddik start out perfect? Well, as mentioned before, ein tzaddik asher Yasat teva la'yechta. There's no tzaddik on earth that did well and did not sin in some way. Could be very subtle, chet Like even Moshe's hitting the rock. You think hitting a rock and speaking to a rock is not the same miracle? So Moshe's tried to speak to the rock and he didn't see water come out. He thought, maybe I misheard and what do I have to do is hit the rack like I did last time. It's a subtle thing. For Moshe, that was already considered a sin. Chet meloshen and So on one hand, tzaddikim have a different track. Are they as perfect as they are? They also need Aveda. They also need to study. Not everything is downloaded in them and automatic, as we spoke earlier. But they have natural skills and they're more naturally wired to fulfill and realize the divine than other nishamas So with their work, they can achieve great heights. So how does one know if someone's become a tzaddik? It's a good question. It could be a tzaddik never knows. Because they always doubt themselves. Like he says in Tanya, that even elam kuli, everyone says to you, you're a tzaddik, you should see yourself as a benini. So that's one thing. Second thing, it's just the, the awareness that even though you may have a deeper connection, that just makes you greater, more bitter, like he says in the Kotenti. The second, the letter that Al-Tarebbe wrote when he came out of prison in Yuttas Kislev, he wrote, I was humbled by all the chesadim you did for me because I didn't feel I deserved it. So basically, every one of us has to work hard to grow. What what your potential is, you may or you may not know. But all of us have to continuously exert ourselves, to reach greater heights. What does chesidish mean? (laughs) Depends who says it. If a Rebbe said, be a chesidish a person, it means listening to the Rebbe, following his directives, learning his Torah, If you're talking about just a cultural word, the person's is fachnokt, or something like that, I don't even know if we have to give that question credence. It's like asking you know, an arbitrary question. What we'd like to say, chassidish would be a, a, a deep bitl. It's not about me. I recognize a higher cause, and I'm completely committed to it. That's how I would translate the word bitl. I use it a lot in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life. The idea that we say chassidish is more than just going to do things that are beyond the letter of the law. Because when you have that bitl, then you go beyond. It pushes you further. That's one of the ways I would define it. How do you deal with bad influences? Uh, Okay. How do you deal with bad influences? Not an easy question to answer. Influences can be friends, it can be online, it can be different factors. If you indeed feel that you have bad influences, then do something about it. Maybe introduce a new friend online or some other way that, that, it's, that is, follows the guidelines, the COVID guidelines. Do things different. Don't be afraid of a new future. Many people feel that they're forever trapped in their own bodies and whatever that happened yesterday is going to happen again. What we're talking about here is also maintenance. To maintain this is a much harder than to do it. I'm sure everybody can learn to turn on something for a moment, get inspired, but to maintain it. So it's really starting a new leaf and saying bad influence doesn't always mean a bad person. It just means influences, for example, people who are lazy, not driven. You want to be around people who are constantly and dynamic and very passionate and alive. That's the best way to deal with bad influences, bringing goodness into your life. Next question. If time is a creation down here, and there's no concept of time above, why do we say a neshama is busy for 30 days after it's nifter? Okay, very good question. This is also about before it comes to this earth. The neshama also goes through stages. It's a whole about it. So the answer is that, first of all, there is a form of conceptual time above. So chesed, gvurit even though they're all with each other, they're not different locations and different planets, but, but nevertheless, conceptually, there's differences between them. there's a difference between Sunday and Monday in time, but there's a difference between Sunday and Monday in concept. Sunday is Chesed, and Monday is Gevudah. So that answers the main question. What does it mean 30 days before? It doesn't mean 30 necessary physical days. It means 30 of our days, and for the Neshama, it's 30 stages. We say, The Teder precedes the world by 2,000 years. But there was no time before. So two thousand years means two thousand levels that would later evolve into like two thousand years. That's how distant they were from each other. There's an interesting shulchan aruch from the Alter the Badur Abbas that's brought, where the Alta says, when you say Kriishman, each place in the world, where's the Yichud happening above? Shabbos is kept. It begins in Australia it's still long in the early Friday in, in other parts of the world. When Shabbos begins in other parts, it's already after Shabbos at some point, another. So when is the Shabbos energy radiating? And he gives the whole explanation that it's higher than time, but it radiates to each level according to its place. As Think of the light as an equal one in each place according to the time. But some some feels that's not adequate, so he goes into a long explanation it's printed in Tov Kuf Samachtes, in the back, Explain the Shulchan Aruch, and says, at the end of the day, you have to say there's two levels. So there's a level of conceptual time, there's a level of physical time, and there's a level that's beyond time. Okay, let me see how much money more. Okay, there's a few more. We'll, I'll try to finish this batch at least. When the Sforno talks about Moshe hitting the rock, he brings in three types of miracles. The first one is tzaddikim davening. Why does it mention specifically tzaddikim? Can't all the hidden daven? And if it's specifically for tzaddikim, why are we all encouraged to daven when someone is unwell? I would have to look up the meddhers. I don't fully understand the question. In the rock. Okay. Well, yes, old Yidin Kandam, but I guess he's talking about Moshe Rabbeinu, so that's a specific role. I'll skip this one, because I don't fully understand the question. Um I like learning geography and work and world history, but it's not really Hochmas omas, so am I, am I allowed to learn it? Generally speaking, geography is, right is not included in Hochmas Kosius, which would be things like philosophy. Some even say certain types of psychology. So geography and world history is not quite like that level. so yes, you can't consider it learning Hochmas Koenius. Like he says in chapter 7, 8 in Tanya. What does it mean, Hesachadas, in relation to validating your emotions? Mm, okay. Hesachadas is the approach taken. When someone insults you or hurts you, the best would be if you could just get beyond it. That it not only shouldn't define you, it shouldn't be something that this should be bothering you. But that needs work. The usual knee-jerk reaction is a person, something this, you start getting consumed with revenge. I want to know what that person is doing. Because it's affected. You you were vulnerable with that person. You're fragile. So it's perfectly natural that there will be feelings. And yet... Because we have, the point is not to empty yourself of feelings, but it's to distract yourself and think about something else. Read something, learn something, get engaged, stimulated. So that will automatically weaken the hold of the fear of letting your emotions be expressed. What does it mean to validating your emotions? So I think you need both. You need to validate someone's emotion. someone has been hurt, someone someone is, is, shri- shra- is uh, shrinking in fear or retreating. You have to validate their emotion. And then you have to help them push it aside so it doesn't control their lives. So that really means to focus on something else when you're in the throes of focusing or whatever that matter is that's not necessarily healthy to focus on. And finally, we'll do one more. The Rebbe says that we have finished our avodah and we are ready to greet Mashiach. But the Rebbe also says that we have, haven't done enough and we need to do even more. Which one is it? So the explanation I always give for this question, they're both true. The Rebbe has in the letter, he says, there are stages of Mashiach's coming. What does that mean, stages? The first stage is the work that we do in this world, is the battle between Good and evil, between right and wrong. Then there'll be a point, too, which the Rebbe calls Yemesa Mashiach, which can stretch a long time, where we see the battle is over, but we still see both forces. And because we're used to fighting, we still think the war is on. So when the Rebbe says finished our Aveda, means that all the work that was necessary to refine ourselves and refine the world has been done but now we need to open our eyes to recognize it and to internalize it. Now, what should we do? So I remember a number of times the Rebbe is saying, in the earlier years, he would say, what should we do? Therefore we have to try something new. Or maybe this is the attempt. In later years, the Rebbe would say, because we did everything we can do. So Ad Mose, how much more? Now once we're here, we have to say God's mysterious ways, that he still wants us to be here. So the work we have to do now is train ourselves that the war is over. Not look at the world around us and say, you know, it's the same war that we've always fought. That's where it becomes a contradiction. Because that means you have to motivate yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. And that's how you mix the two. So we have to do one little thing to greet Mashiach. Like the Rambam says, one act, one one word, good word, one good thought can tip the scales and bring personal and global redemption. So we have to focus on what is it that we can do now to help precipitate that. Okay, my friend, with that we conclude this special edition I hope I did justice to these questions. And obviously, you can only answer limited time certain points. But if there's any follow-up questions or anything else, please don't hesitate to write either meaningful... I'm sorry, either at chasidasapply.com, the forum, or you could just send an email or share it with your teachers and they'll pass it on. It's been a true honor. My goal, I hope, is is that you become leaders in your right and own right. So wherever you go, wherever you travel, wherever you'll meet, and whoever you will find, ultimately connect with and marry, by actualizing ourselves, by using Chesidus to help us develop our skills, we will transform the world. Everyone have a good, well, we should take the Yom Tif of the Kislev, and Tichov Kislev, Rosh Hashanah Chesidus, and now extend that Rosh Hashanah into the entire year, until we're Zeche, to Yafutsu Menasecha Chutzah, which will bring the Geula, Hamitis v'ashlema. Thank you so much. We're here every Sunday, eight to nine p.m. This special edition. This of Yutas of chavkis of tavshin pei aleph. Special edition for the high school students. Everyone be well. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by My Life Chasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidahsupply.com slash donate.